Fitness Solutions Podcast. So today I wanted to talk about our progression of programming at Coalesce and how I saw things and the transitions we've made as a philosophical, from a, from a philosophical standpoint. And in order to kind of get context for this, I guess I got to talk about my own personal fitness journey and how that started. And that started with weight loss, right? I, I, I was overweight. I was up about 247 pounds and none of it was muscle and I wanted to lose weight. So I started, I was probably 27 or 28 years old. I'm 41 now. So uh, about 14 or 15 years ago, I started to go running and I would just try to run as far as I could, as often as I could. I would go to the gym. I would, you know, do some dumbbell curls and a couple of machines and then jog home. And Initially, my first goal was to run a marathon and I would just, I didn't do any research on, and also mid 2000s, like internet information wasn't what it is now. So, you know, 10 or 15 years later, you've got open source information on the internet that can kind of cover just about anything when it comes to training plans. But I also didn't do much research on it at that point either. So what I would do is I would go on seven-mile runs every day. I would go out for 10 miles. I would go for 13 miles. I never did any stretching. I never did any strength work other than upper body stuff that I was doing at the gym when I was going in to do chest day or back day or whatever day it was. It could have been um, biceps day. I don't know. And eventually... I was doing a Tough Mudder, no, it wasn't, it was a Rugged Maniac, so it was my first obstacle course race was a Rugged Maniac, and I was well prepared for the running segment of it, but I knew that I wasn't prepared for the obstacle portion of it, and a friend had just told me about CrossFit, and I was curious about it because I had seen somebody's abs, and they're like, oh, I've been doing CrossFit, and I was like, okay, I want abs, maybe I should do CrossFit, and so a friend of mine had told me about it, and he'd opened a CrossFit out in uh, Amityville. So I went to his gym in Amityville and that was Lenny Pace at CrossFit Pace Performance in Amityville. He's in Farmingdale now on Route 109. So if you live anywhere near there or work near there, Lenny's the guy to go to um, if you are looking for CrossFit. So once I started CrossFit, uh, if you're familiar with CrossFit, you know that CrossFit is high intensity, functional fitness, um, constantly varied functional fitness and what that means is it's mixed modal exercise for time or like four reps there's a a competitive component to it that you are trying to exceed your previous bests regularly whether that be speed or load or reps uh, in a workout and CrossFit was awesome this was probably 2013 when I first got introduced to CrossFit and CrossFit has the CrossFit Open and so the CrossFit Open is the first stage of competition going into the CrossFit Games and everyone participate in that and it's a lot of fun and but what that did was it kind of made me aware that oh there's a competitive nature to this and I could compete in it and I was never really great at it but I, I liked being better and I liked pursuing being better at CrossFit and so took a lot of CrossFit um, 
courses, CrossFit kettlebell, CrossFit Olympic weightlifting, CrossFit competitors course. And when I took the competitors course, it made me start thinking about programming for competition. And so I started doing some programming for myself and then I started doing some other people's programming. And when I started doing the competition programming, the volume of programming is very high. And because of scheduling and and that kind of stuff, I didn't spend enough time on mobility or recovery work, nor was it really even on my radar with the programs that I was following. And I had done CrossFit main site, uh, which is CrossFit.com, which is really the only real uh, pure version of CrossFit based on what CrossFit prescribes for programming. Three days on, one day off, mixed modal, uh, combination of gymnastics, monostructural and weightlifting, an exclusive weightlifting day, an exclusive monostructural day. And so when we talk about CrossFit and CrossFit methodology, that's what's recommended from the CrossFit level one, that's what's recommended from the CrossFit level two, and that those are consistent. Um, there should include a warm-up, there should include a cool-down, whatever, but the main bulk of the workout is the 21-15-9. It's the five sets of five back squats, and that's your workout for the day. Now, what myself and many CrossFit owners, uh, affiliate owners did was we started to incorporate strength work every day, and that was not a component that CrossFit was recommending. Uh, I'm not aware if they've actually even changed that, but to my knowledge, they haven't changed it, where you're doing a warm-up, you're doing back squats, you're doing a Metcon or conditioning. Um, And following CrossFit closely for eight or nine years, um, I started finding myself burned out from the high-intensity stuff all the time. And I would get hurt regularly. And eventually I had... um, I was doing that competition programming and I did a workout called Randy. And during Randy, it's 75 power snatches for time at 75 pounds. It's a hero workout. And I finished the workout in under four minutes, which is pretty, it's pretty good. Like that's, that's a pretty competitive score to the detriment of the next day uh, in a beginner's class demonstrating a goblet squat with what at the time was a light kettlebell and as I sat to the bottom of my squat I felt a pop in my lower back and immediately my I had to nearly crawl out of the gym and sit down on the curb out back and one of the coaches at the time Lauren took me to my chiropractor which was her brother at the time and he made a, did some adjustments and stretched me out a little bit and got it to the point where I could walk, but my lower back was still in excruciating pain and my left leg had gone pretty much numb. Uh, and that was about four years ago and I still have numbness in part of my foot from that injury. Um, that never went away. And so in order for me to train again, I had to like dial everything back and start from the beginning. I had to start with the basics and go through movement. And 
Following that injury, I never approached CrossFit the same again, which also led me to start looking at things that were similar to CrossFit, but not quite the same intensity, not quite the same goals. And, but prior to that, it started making me look at what was going on around me in our gym and in other gyms locally and, and whatever I, uh, I observed and myself and many of my colleagues, other gym owners that I talked to, other coaches that I talked to observed that there's a high rate of injury of generally overuse injury in that particular training modality. Now you go into any training modality and there's going to be injuries. There's going to be overuse injuries in powerlifting. There's going to be overuse injuries in gymnastics. There's going to be over in, uh, overuse injuries in baseball because of the nature of repetitive motions. It's not to say that CrossFit is inherently more dangerous than any other training modality or any other sport because it's not it's probably equal or safer than some of them based on the nature of the are some variation in movement. Whereas when we're doing something like powerlifting uh, or even, even baseball or any throwing sport, it's also dominant on one side or the other that you're seeing overuse injuries from the, the dominant side uh, kind of stuff. So compensation patterns cre- get created and injuries occur. And that happens in CrossFit, that happens in baseball, that happens in any sport that you're playing, it happens in any training modality. So it's not to say that CrossFit is inherently more dangerous than anything else, it's not. But that was the overuse, that was the area that I was doing it in, and so that was the place I experienced the injury in. However, I love the intensity that CrossFit taught me. I love the type of conditioning I learned from CrossFit. I once loved the community of CrossFit, but I don't typically anymore. Uh, people change. I change. Things change. Uh, CrossFit changed. I lost interest in CrossFit when they moved the Open from February to October. I don't know why exactly that bothered me so much, but it did. And from that moment forward, I really just started going like, okay, this is not what it was when I fell in love with it. And... That's not to say that I don't want to do CrossFit competitions because I do. They're fun. Um, It's not to say that I wouldn't tell someone that CrossFit is a great training program and it's probably the right fit for them based on who they are. It's not the primary thing that I'm looking at as a coach or as an athlete anymore. Now, when those injuries started happening to me and I started looking around at our gym and other gyms, I started wanting to prevent those injuries. Or And so the first thing that we did was we incorporated the level method. And the level method gave us a process to assess athletes based on their strength and uh, skills and make appropriate modifications, but we were still doing CrossFit, uh, pure CrossFit, where high intensity, long workouts, heavy weights, but those weights were going to be more modified to the ability levels based on the assessments. One of the things that was detrimental then was the RX, meaning the as prescribed that came along with the CrossFit culture. And so a workout as prescribed could be 30 clean and jerks for time. Males do it at 135 pounds and females perform it at 95 pounds. And there was a big, there's a big allure to doing a workout RX or as prescribed, 
at and what I believed about the RX at the time was okay. Well, CrossFit says that RX is this, so this is what it is, and we would try to make modifications based on testing. But there's an inherent pushback from uh, an athlete or a member when they want to do things at the RX or at a competitive level because there's this belief that they should be able to do that and be able to get a score. And what I believe happens in those times is that now you don't have the, the adequate stability in your shoulders, hips, legs, or back. And the assessment protocols that we were using at that time were all based on performance. The range of motions that we look for for the type of movements that are used in CrossFit, we hadn't been using that kind of funk, that kind of movement screening yet. All the screenings that we were doing when we were using level method, there was a flexibility screening, but that's not the type of screening that we now use. And it, it didn't tell us enough about what movement modifications needed to be made for people in particular. So the level method helped to take CrossFit workouts and give a spectrum of people appropriate modifications for intensity levels. As I started to want to solve bigger issues and be able to completely either avoid overuse injuries or... Um, or help people get past them, I started looking more into corrective action work. And when I first started training, I'd started with the NASM personal training certification. And that was my first certification that I got after CrossFit level one. And so I started looking back into the stuff that I learned then. And, and there was a progression that went through stability and then into strength. I don't remember the exact progression, but there were, there were several steps to it. And so we started looking into what what type of exercises stabilize the joint, what type of exercises strengthen the muscle, and are we balancing those things enough? And in the general protocol or general class frame of a, a CrossFit workout and what people are coming to expect from a CrossFit class, those things were aren't really included typically. Um, and if they are, they're included sporadically and with variety because that's the CrossFit methodology is that constantly varied high intensity functional fitness. So things like bicep curls and banded pull-aparts might be used in a warm-up, but they're not part of the program on a long-term basis where uh, you're seeing six or eight or 12 weeks of progression with a movement or regular exposure to a movement because the methodology is about variation. It is about a snatch, a one rep max snatch on a Monday, and then you don't see a snatch again maybe for two and a half weeks, and it's a different variation. And one of the, so when you're training for that and you're doing competitive programming, you're seeing snatches regularly, you're seeing cleaning jerks regularly, but in the general CrossFit program, in a general gym or a box, it's constantly varied. And that's regardless of if if it's claiming to be CrossFit as CrossFit is prescribed um, and not some, you know, reimagination of CrossFit exclusively. So 
when quarantine happened or for shortly before it, like I, I was looking into active life. And when I started looking into active life, we were still level at the gym. We were still a CrossFit gym. We were still doing CrossFit methodology, but we learned um, some useful things that taught us about modifications and movement ranges that became the basis for what I do with personal training clients, with individual programming design, and when we start to make modifications for people in class based on injury or injury prevention. So when we started using Active Life, it gave us the tools to assess ourselves and our members so that we could see what ranges of motion were adequate for the type of movements that we're doing. So let's say, for instance, uh, we're doing an overhead movement. You're doing an overhead press or you're doing a barbell where, where, or you're hanging from a bar. What range of motion is necessary in the shoulders to be able to hang from a bar without putting the shoulder into a position that it's not that is not available, therefore having to force compensation somewhere. So when we do a shoulder flexion test, it tells us, can you get the arm fully overhead? And when we do a shoulder abduction test, it tells us, can you bring the hands or the the biceps to the ears and come through a full range of motion of abduction and adduction, which is this frontal plane motion uh, to your sides. So if there's shortness in those ranges of motion, hanging from the bar might not be recommended for a person because they're forcing a position with range of motion that's not quite available, which means that range of motion has to come from somewhere. So if it's not in the shoulders, it then has to come from the back or downstream, depending on the the movement. So now when we make modifications, we're going to base that on not just how strong are you and are you able to pull yourself up over the bar, but are you able to get into a proper hanging position? Is position one even correct where you're not even fully under load yet? So now if you start to do something like uh, an extended position, like going into a kipping pull up, now you don't even have, like if you already don't have that range of motion to hang from a dead hang, now you start to go into sh- extended sh- or, or more shoulder flexion and you're already starting in a bad position. And now we're forcing this range of motion to get the shoulder fully into flexion. And now we start to see shoulder injuries. We start to see back injuries. Um, and that goes for the same for all the joints, the ankle, the knee, the hip, and the shoulders, um, and the thoracic spine, the mid-back, we could include all, we could include all of that. So whenever we're looking at, is there overhead position missing? Is it coming from the shoulder? Is it coming from the back? Whatever the case may be. And how do we correct that and modify appropriately so that we're not avoiding the range of motion? And a couple of things come into question there. It's one, what, how much of the range of motion is missing? Is there already pain? Is it already symptomatic? If it is, then what can we do to reduce symptoms and alleviate that pain so that we're not avoiding the range of motion? Because use it or lose it remains. If we avoid a range of motion entirely, we lose more and more of it. So in order for us to continue to grow, we need to address those ranges of motion even if there is some pain, depending on the level of pain, right? So if, if it's something that is, it, it's uncomfortable and it hurts to press overhead, but it doesn't at some point, then we have to look at, okay, is it the, the load that does it? Meaning if you can hold your arm up over your head, but it's, it, there's no pain, then the weight of your arm 
is able to move that way. As you add weight, does it start to hurt then? So we can address that by loading that joint incrementally, loading that range of motion incrementally. If zero pounds through a range of motion is pain-free, is it still pain-free at two and a half pounds or 10 pounds or 100 pounds? If so, we can incrementally and progressively load that range of motion as long as it's pain-free or within a certain level of pain that's an appropriate response. Um, when we start to get into, let's say there's a pain scale of 0 out of 10, anything over a 3 out of 10, we're probably aggravating things more than we're helping them. If that pain is reduced as you go, meaning we're starting out at like a 3 on the first rep and it goes down to a 0 by the, the last rep and there's no pain following this set, well then we're starting to make progress on something. And over time, we're able to load more and more into the joint to the point where now we're not modifying workouts uh, because of pain or because of a lack of range of motion in that particular joint. So now, as we've come through CrossFit, I've spent time doing uh, Marcus Philly's functional bodybuilding, looking into functional patterns, working with Active Life and going through their pro path and their uh, methodology of assessment and looking into the more specifics of the individual. Now we're using that as our main source of progression. What's appropriate for the individual? So when I work with people in personal training, it gives us the opportunity to look at that stuff specifically and test out where are these ranges of motion, how much range of motion is available, what is the body doing side to side with strength uh, as far as each joint, as far as each limb and then programming based on the individual and what ranges of motion and what weaknesses are existing. If your squat is substantially stronger than your deadlift, there's an imbalance there. There should be about 20% more in your deadlift. So when we start to see imbalances like that, we want to start to diminish or reduce the amount of squat pattern days and increase the amount of deadlift pattern days or hinging pattern, not necessarily a deadlift, but spend more time in the hinge than in the squat to increase the strength of the posterior chain because some kind of imbalance is happening where the front of your body is now working harder or is getting stronger than the back of your body, which now causes a compensation, which causes dysfunction, which causes pain and injury. So when we balance these things, we're able to either reduce or avoid pain to begin with. If you're in pain, then taking a look at those ranges of motion and that balance from side to side and programming specifically to change that, now we start to see progress in range of motion. We start to see progress in pain symptoms and we stop needing to modify workouts and start getting into, can you go running? Can you go hiking? Can you do yard work without getting out, uh, without being laid up in your bed for a week because you're in so much pain because you raked your yard for a, an hour after not doing it for the entire winter. So I'm going to do some more work on this stuff and more put out some more episodes on methodology and progression. Any questions on this stuff, feel free to comment, feel free to text message or call 
uh, email me. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.